Yeah. <laughs> I was taking photos at Rydal Cave. We went on Saturday, but there's too many people about, so all the photos were ruined. I'm assuming this is a place in the Lake District. It's near Ambleside. Okay. Um, so we're like, all right, we're going Wednesday after work. So me and my friend go up there, and we mm. get to the top, and there's a 100-person film crew there. <laughs> Doing what? Um, he said it's, uh, this Welsh, little Welsh security guard. It's like, yeah, they don't tell us in case we we, we put it on social media and then... Oh, right, so it's like a costume up. drama or something. But then you you Google it, mm. and it's uh, this the film in The Witcher, season two. <gasps> Shut up. Which Emma said apparently you oh, watched that. Was Caviezel was, was there? I don't know. Cavazel. They were all in the cave, Cavazel. we couldn't see. And then my no. mate Pete flew a drone over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't get shot down. I shouldn't use his name. My, my friend, beep. <laughs> Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history, focusing specifically on the lesser known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with... Alright, three to one. Go. go. Are you happy? Uh Uh-huh. Everything's right? (laughs) Have you got the last of the popcorn kernels out of your teeth? (laughs) I don't think I'm going to be ready for this, Joe. You've just got to crack on. I'll, I'll do I need to up. run you around a garden a few times? I feel times? like I need a cold bath. <laughs> I can't offer you that. <laughs> just taking liberties. Bathe me. <laughs> and then, only then, once you've talked my arse, will I be ready. Right. Am I getting too demanding? <laughs> you turn into a bit of a diva. I want popcorn. I want a cup of tea on the table. I want you to bathe me. <laughs> this story begins during the Restoration Era. And the three words... For you to remember, in order for this to all make sense. Okay. Carpenters, mm-hmm. extortion, and lace. What would your guess be? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, with carpenters and extortion, I'm... Where's your head go? I'm going to knock off Chippendale yeah. furniture, possibly. The lace as well, freely, lots of adornments. Mm. Is but it the birth of Ikea? <laughs> it could be. Oh, let's get into it. But it's not. Because in 1708, a bright-eyed 25-year-old carpenter's son from Wolverhampton made his way to old London town. John Wilde had tried to make a go of it in London four years earlier, but he'd been dismissed by his master almost immediately and had returned home in shame. What did he get dismissed for? (laughs) Not being particularly good at his job. He was late. <laughs> he was he was lazy, is what he was. Oh, right. He had a wife and child back in Wolvo this time, though. So he had to make sure he did better this time around. He had the inspiration to succeed. Yeah. Well, when you became father, Joe, did that weight of responsibility to provide happen? No, I changed very little. Oh, you were just a good person before? Uh, I was just me before. You, you, you'd you believe that you're going to do all of these things differently and then life happens and you realise that you're actually quite a routine-driven person and you're you're going to continue to fall back into the same whole behavioural patterns. It's all just a pipe dream. It's like the new, the new parent glow. That doesn't last that long. I think it's, it might be more profound for other people. You know, but a bit possibly. off the rails and not as orderly as you are. Possibly, possibly, yeah. I was, I was quite a boring, routine-driven person before. The so kids. when they came along, you were just like, "Yeah, join in." <laughs> yes, I have some slots for you. I can fit you in there. 
How's, how's 10 p.m. work for you? Are you Great. happy with orange as your Google Calendar colour? It works out. No, yeah. that's Emma's colour anyway. She likes orange. <laughs> so he went back to London town, second go, inspired. He's got the commitment. He's got a wife and child back in Wolvo. Mm-hmm. So he's got to make the money. He can't just, you know, this is his time to, yeah. to man up. Uh, yeah, he was arrested and placed in debtor's prison in 1710. Oh. So he lasted two years. Uh, John, though, he did surprisingly well in prison. He enjoyed it. He was more than happy to suck up to the prison guards, and he even began running errands for them. So he was a proper little brown noser in prison. I'm not liking John so far. No. Okay, well, he eventually earned enough money doing these little errands to, to pay off his debts. Debt. <laughs> yeah. And he even began lending money to the other prisoners in the debtor's prison because he didn't leave prison despite paying off his debt. He stayed in the prison and started running a kind of banking scheme within the prison specifically for the prisoners. He had a captive market. Yeah. Well, this is the first indication in this story of how insane the criminal justice system of the time was. He was also, because he was such a good little brown noser, given the liberty of the gate. And this meant he was allowed to go out at night from prison to assist in the catching of thieves. That's great, isn't it? So you've you've got someone in prison for doing unlawful things. That's the guy you want catching the other criminals because who knows better how the criminal mind works. Because now you have have the opposite now where there's day prisons in there where you've got to go in. You've got to go back at night. Mm. So that you can uh, earn money and sort of recoup into society. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's a thing. This is the complete opposite of that. So you you have no gainful employment during the day, and then at night you're sent out to catch thieves. To catch thieves. Uh, John, of course, as you would, used his liberty to begin visiting prostitutes. Eventually, he fell in with a prostitute called Molly Milliner, who asked John to provide her with some muscle as she went about in her criminal endeavours. Is this the story of the first? Recorded pimp. Well, no, it's it's the other way around. She's she's um, sort of calling the shots on him. Yeah, right. Um, at this point, so you know she's paying him some money to. Um, yeah, stand there with the bats and a. Yeah, yeah, but she's in charge scowl. of she's in charge of the situation. So essentially, John's using his night release from debtors' prison to make contract contacts with and learn from a wide range of London criminals. He really didn't want to go back to his wife and kid. Mm, it doesn't seem that way at this moment. Although maybe he was just trying to find a way to make money that he was good at to send money back. So let's not... No, I think it's an excuse. Okay. Well, then in 1712, Queen Anne, for she was queen at the time, decided that having a large number of people in debtor's prison was not good for the country. Because this these could be minor debts and you could end up out of the workforce for years. All right. Because if you've got no way to pay it off, and how would you? You're basically stuck in a no-win situation. She was especially concerned about this because she was in the middle of a war with France at the time, as England often is, and she needed as many able-bodied citizens as possible working to equip the soldiers. So she quickly passed a law compelling creditors to accept as much as the debtor could pay, be that all of the debt or... Some pocket lint. Yeah, or nothing. <laughs> Some buttons. Yeah. Um, so that they could be released. So it's probably... It was one of the earliest um, forms of bankruptcy. Right. Basically, you're in debtor's prison. We need you in the workforce. Therefore, they're just going to have to take whatever you've got and you start anew. 
John, of course, he's got he's got carpentry skills. He, Son so of a carpenter, he's apprenticed that. as a carpenter. Uh, he got out, so he's gonna. This is his chance. He's made a little bit of money doing the crim, the criminal thing. Now he's gonna be knuckle a down. Maker. Yeah, he's gonna do something for the war effort. Uh, no. Oh. No, he didn't do that. Instead, he shacked up with Molly, calling her his wife, in spite of the fact that not only he, but also she, was already married. So they both skipped out on other families to, yeah, to live this criminal life. True love finds a way. It does. It really does. And this is not true love. They began carving out a niche of fencing stolen goods and used the money that they made to expand their criminal business by financing bribes to get criminals released from prison on the promise that they would only use John and Molly in the future to fence their stolen goods. <clears throat> Explain that. They would take items that had been stolen mm-hmm. and they would sell them and convert it to money, which they would give back to the criminal who'd stolen the original item, and they would take a cut for that. Oh, cool. So essentially they're saying, you've got this thing that you can't get rid of. It's worth a lot of money, but you can't, actualize that money it's too hot yeah we'll do that bit for you but in return we want some of the profits they used all of those profits to get more criminals out of prison who then owed them a favor so they were compelling them to only use their services to fence things so as they grew they had a wider and wider pool of of Mm. thieves to to work through which yeah is, is bloody smart isn't it um at some point though John realised that he could double his profit by getting rid of Molly. Because they were splitting it 50-50. And, you know, if you're splitting it 50-50 with yourself, then it's 100. Right, now now explain that. (laughs) That's math. (laughs) He did this, getting rid of her, by cutting off her ear to mark her as a prostitute. This was not a recognised punishment for prostitution, though. (laughs) <laughs> so it wasn't like every prostitute walking around London yeah. town had one ear. He just cut her ear off and said, now everyone will know you're a prostitute. Did it work? Uh, Was she scared enough? I, I mean, she she doesn't crop up in the story again, and John continues with yeah, what so he was doing. Terrified. So she's yeah. You know, a guy who you were shacking up with thought was going to be, you know, your bigger mystic husband. Yeah. You know, suddenly turns up one day, cuts your ear off and goes, now everyone knows you're a whore and kicks you out on the street. Yeah, you're probably not going to go back there. Does he wear it as a trophy? Oh, like a a necklace of ears. No. As far as I'm aware, he gets rid of the ear. Although I can't say for sure. Throughout all of this, so the setting up of the criminal enterprise, John had kept up the pretense of being a man who tried to support the law as best he could as he'd been doing during his time in debtor's prison. So he'd continued sucking up to guards, uh, people in authority, trying to pretend like he was helpful. Uh, this brought him to the attention of Under Marshal Charles Hitchin, who asked if he would like to become assistant thief taker. It's like Dog the Bounty Hunter. It's a bit like Dog the Bounty Hunter. So Now he is Dog the Bounty Hunter in my head. Oh, is that the... Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd go with that image. He's the dog. He's got some... Uh... What, the O'Neill <laughs> Oakley Oakley o- Shades Oakley Shades with the MP3 built in and Bear Mace he's just going to go smashing up crack pipes mm. so things were a little bit different around this time because in the urban centres property crime had become pretty much an epidemic so much so that in 1693 the parliament 
of the time had begun offering a 40 quid reward for capturing highwaymen. So it was literally bounty hunting. There was a bounty on these people. This reward system had steadily been extended to include all offences that could result in capital punishment. So anything you could be hung for, there was a bounty on your head for it. And at the time, this included such crimes as cutting down trees, stealing from a rabbit warren, being out at night with a blackened face, and wrecking a fish pond. What's what's the reason to go out at night with a blackened face? Only nefarious, which is why if you do it, you run the risk of being hung. Shit, so there's some coal miners somewhere... This this was mainly enforced in urban centres, so I don't think it would be coal miners per se, but you'd you'd be better off, you know, edging your bets and going down the the nearest river and getting yourself nice and clean. So it was still forty years before Harry Fielding uh, Henry Fielding, sorry, not Harry Fielding. Henry Fielding would create the Bow Street Runners and the people of London, without any kind of police force, were forced to rely on a system of watchmen who were known as Charlies, who were expected to conduct investigations, catch criminals, do all the police work without any centralised system. They mainly spent their time escorting drunks home uh, for a bit of loose change, and they were the people who would cry the time as they walked the street at night. That's really sweet. Yeah. Just escorting, like, hooking his arm. Yeah, well, it's, it's a case of, right, we want you to catch all the criminals of London town. Okay, what resources are we given? None. Okay, what investigative tools do I have? None. Do I get paid? None. Well, very (laughs) little. It's like, do you know what I can do to help people? I can walk drunks home so at least they don't get accosted. And then rob them at the door. Or get a bit of money from them for for doing the service. It's basically a really taxi service. Yeah, Mm. they were quite nice. Hence the reliance on thief-takers, though. Because the thief-takers were motivated by the bounties and they would go the extra mile. Uh, And they ended up being essentially cops for the richest people because the richest people could afford to put these bounties up. So is John Wilde now an early policeman? He's he's a thief-taker, so he's a bounty hunter slash, um, you know, uh, fencer of stolen goods. Right. He has two strings to his bow, one directly opposed to the other, but he's playing them both. And he saw how amazing the opportunity was to expand his criminal empire from its humble beginnings in a place called Cock Alley, which is where he'd set up shop, he began having his gang of thieves steal from the richer, the richer people of London. Then, when the crime was reported, he would claim he had found the items, accept the reward for finding the items, and then frame a rival gang member to claim the bounty. Fucking hell. Uh, so, you I'm know... I'm sure you did, you did an episode with Matt... This similar story was happening. Well, uh, no, you're thinking of uh, William Shalliner. Yeah. No, he was he was just an absolute dick. There was no... He wasn't planning to throw other people under the bus. He was just really, really rubbish at covering his tracks. And whenever anyone got too close, it, his was a reactive thing. Right. This was very proactive. Right. He'd decide who he was going to blame for the crime and then set all the wheels into motion. Right. So <clears throat> even though he's orchestrated the entire thing, he comes out of it looking like a really good thief taker because he found the stuff so quick and he was able to find the person who did it just like almost as if he knew beforehand. Just magic. Yeah. So as you can imagine, the rich people of London, they're thinking John Wilde, 
He's our man. Yeah, he is the guy. In this way, John Wilde was able to drive out other organised criminals, forcing more and more thieves to run their stolen goods through him, knowing that he could easily have any of them tried and probably executed if they crossed him. Twice. Because this is reportedly where the phrase double cross began, as two crosses against a thief's name in John's ledger uh, meant that he would sell the man to the oh, crown. This is so gritty. Is there is there a is there a TV adaptation of this story? I don't know. The me- if there isn't, there should be. But would you write for it? <laughs> I just find can't it, you see it? It's just so clear. Yeah, I just find it great, that, and I can't guarantee that double cross that is the origin. This is an urban legend, but I quite like the idea that to double cross someone was this bloke just going right. That's the second time you piss me about. <laughs> Things are not going to end well for you, boy. Do you think he'd tell you? I like to think he'd do it in front of you. Yeah. And you'd know there's nothing you can do. But he puts the second cross on your forehead. <laughs> Kick shut the door. Well, things got even better for him, though, because he was then able to usurp the under-marshal, Charles Hitchin, the guy who'd given him the job in the first place, by accusing him of frequenting Molly Houses. Were they called Molly Houses? Well, Molly Houses were gay brothels, specifically. Right. So he he put it about that this person who was in charge of uh, keeping public spaces safe was attending gay brothels, which at the time was some, a practice that was frowned on. Um, was it illegal? Oh, it was very illegal. And the accusation was later, actually, in this case, proved to be true when Hitchin was arrested by somebody completely different for sodomy in 1727. Right. So a capital offence, homosexuality? Yes. Right. I don't think Hitchin was actually executed for it. I think his sentence was commuted, but it was punishable by death right. at the time. I mean, come on. If wrecking a fish pond is, and you know how, how long it's taken us to get to something approaching uh, just equality in terms of gay rights did you think I mean, when did when was homosexuality made legal the 1960s it was wasn't it yeah so we're we're 240 years prior at oh, this point a long way yeah he was nowhere close to was it even true yes oh right okay but again it shouldn't have shouldn't have mattered no no, no. um so by the I'd seven... say be, it, it, that would be the this the other cross would be that is not actually true as well I suppose that doesn't matter to the thing. No, he just he just wanted that job because he saw it as a way to consolidate his power even more. Yeah, yeah. And he happened to know something about someone who considered John a friend because he got him his job and they worked together closely. And he turned around and used that information to try and have him killed. So by 1720s, John Wilde had an office in the Old Bailey uh, and was being asked by the Privy Council. So these are the advisors to the monarchy for advice on how to combat the rising wave of crime. Because although he was catching a lot of criminals, it turned out crime was still rife. Right. Well, you can't be expected to catch them all. No, not the ones who work for him. Uh, he suggested, though, that the best way to bring the crime rate down would be to increase the reward for catching criminals. And within a year, the amount that was offered per bounty had increased from £40 to £140. Good man. So he'd more than trebled his profit on his scheme by passing it off as 
this is this is how we sort it out. Everywhere he turns is an opportunity. There is an opportunity for him. So John was now he wasn't known as John Wilde anymore. He was known as the Thief Taker General. <laughs> what a title! And his power was absolute. So in terms of criminality in London, John was the kingpin. He was the guy. You didn't cross him, and if you did, he double-crossed you. We're going to leave John for a little bit in his position of absolute power. Because in 1723, a 20-year-old from Spitalfields, local boy, Jack Shepherd, decided that he wanted also to live a life of crime. He had spent five years as an apprentice carpenter, so he had the same profession as John Wilde, uh, and he was working just off Drury Lane, right. which you may know. No. Okay. Um, I do. I do, and, and have I begun, don't know why. And had begun drinking in a pub called the Black Lion. It was an establishment frequented by known criminals such as Joseph Blueskin Blake and a guy by the name of Thief Taker General John Wilde. So he he had, still hangs around in the dive bars. Yeah. So Jack Shepard, if he's going to start a life of crime, he's going to the right boozer. If nothing else, yeah, he's yeah. going to the right pub. And, much like John Wilde, he was introduced to criminality by a prostitute. How intimidated would you feel in one of those pubs? I, w- I would not enter one of those pubs. <laughs> It'd be so, oh, God. You could just feel the aggression. I don't know. What I'd... would you drink if, if the Black Lion is where all the um, the criminals <laughs> and hard knocks? I don't know. Maybe going for something. I, I don't know. I'm just going to have a half a bitter at the Paddling Swan. <laughs> Yeah, if you if you ended up in that pub and you sort it of closes walked, at five, you'd walked in and you hadn't realised quite what a place it was, and you, you you're at the bar and you can't turn around and just walk out, despite the fact that every fibre of your being is telling you to do so. And you're looking at all the drinks and going, okay, what's the most manly drink? You do something stupid, you'd be like a pint of whiskey, please, barman. Then <laughs> <laughs> just have to stare everyone. <laughs> stare around the room as you down this pint of whiskey before you walk back out and you're violently sick around the corner. Like, trying to stifle that, that, that harsh whiskey cough. <laughs> as you drink it. I, I don't imagine that I would, I would even get close to a place like that. No. I mean, first of all, it's not a Weatherspoons. So anyway, much like John Wilde, he was introduced to criminality by a prostitute this one by the name of Edgeworth Bess, which is quite a cool name as far as I'm concerned. I couldn't find out what a real name was because I doubt anyone named their daughter Edgeworth. Edgeworth. She convinced him to drink heavily and then convinced him to steal two silver spoons while on an errand for his master. Fucking <laughs> hell. That's a proper gateway crime, that one. But you need that first crime just to, like, um, <laughs> wet your whistle. Yeah. Something little. Yeah. At least he went for something easily concealable. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you can say, well, you know, you made me that brew. You left the spoon in it. I, t- I t- must have just put it there to get it out of the way. For You've yeah. got plausible you deniability. You yourself some... that you were honest. Yeah. Two spoons, fine. If you're trying to walk away with a grand piano, you've probably, you've crossed the line then. Um, he didn't get caught. So he began stealing regularly from houses where he's performing carpentry jobs. So little things, easily missed things, things that you think you'd misplaced. And he was in and out as long as it took to do whatever the, the job was. So it's quite a good little scam 
a little mm. bit of extra funds. But by August 17, 23, he decided he got enough practice in. He was ready to criminal full time. This was no longer his side hustle. He was going to go all in on it. Uh, he quit carpentry and he moved to Fulham with Bess. All he needed to make this criminal enterprise complete uh, was someone to fence the things that he stole. <clears throat> Some somebody who was well well known as a fence and maybe would have all the new criminals pointed to him, so that he could get the business. So he started working with John Wilde. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, things hit a slight wrinkle when Bess was arrested and she was imprisoned in St Giles's Roundhouse which basically just like holding cells that they had around the city so you'd be locked in there and then when they were ready to come and grab you they'd take you to one of the, the bigger prisons uh, Jack tried to visit her in the roundhouse but he was told by the jailer that he couldn't so he broke her out and they moved to Piccadilly Is this before Is this before locks? Uh, the locks weren't great but there were also people there right. but he just broke her out doesn't say how couldn't figure out how he just broke her out and they went to Piccadilly Nice and easy. Right, fair enough. Mm. Uh, in February 1724, so early part of ne- the next year, Jack decided to do some thieving with his brother, Tom. This is weird. Yeah. I have a brother called Tom. Yes, we have a brother called Tom. Um, we have a brother <clears throat> called Tom. But Yeah, but you're not Jack. No, that's true. I'm Joe. <laughs> I think I've got it worked out in my head. What's the other one called? We don't talk of him. Harry. Um, so Tom, he'd also been a carpenter, and as we can see from this story, if you're a carpenter, you're a crook. You're going to be a good criminal. True then, as it is today. Uh, although Tom, possibly there should have been some warning signs, as he'd been branded for stealing tools from his master. Uh, that's why he'd lost his carpentry job. So the very first time he tried to steal, he'd been caught stealing and been branded for stealing. Where'd you get branded? It's going to be somewhere where everybody sees it. I'm guessing it'll be either on your arms um, or on your face, (laughs) on one of your cheeks, possibly. You'd see it then. I mean, you know, if you brand someone on a buttock, yes, it's going to hurt, and yes, it's quite humiliating, but they put on a pair of pants, they're fine, aren't they? It's really obvious. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jack, he decided to give his brother another go, though, uh, and Tom was quickly caught. And fearing that he might be hung... He did the honourable thing and ran. And he turned on his brother, uh, and a warrant was issued for Jack's arrest. So they said, either you tell us who your accomplices were, or we will kill you. And he decided that he would damn well say who his accomplices were. I mean, there's only what there's, there's about four names back then. Yeah, you just say a random name, and that person would be in London <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> no, no, no! You've been named. <laughs> oh no. The amount of John Smiths who went to the gallows yeah. and they shouldn't have done. So, um, when a warrant's issued for someone's arrest, though, the thief taker sees an opportunity and John Wilde had one of his men by the name, and again, I don't think this was his given name at birth, Helen Fury Sykes. Okay. Betray Jack by offering to fence some goods for him and then turning him over to the authorities and collecting the 40 quid. Is Jack Sykes in Oliver? Uh, Bill Sykes Bill is in Sykes, Oliver. Right. But this is Helen Fury Sykes. Although, that being said, this may be where the idea for the Sykes name came from. Yeah, I'm sure it was a very popular name at the time. Mm. 
Well, you never know. Charles Dickens may have heard of this story. He yeah. was a collector of stories. He stole it. Yeah, as he does Everyone with everything. Stealing. God, Charles. Come up with your own ideas. Ghosts existed before you. Um, so. He's still running the uh, I Hate Charles Dickens website. I don't hate Charles Dickens. I'm neutral on Charles Dickens. I just don't want him taking credit for stuff he doesn't deserve to. Anyway, Jack was arrested and he was temporarily placed because he didn't have time to take him all the way to the... Um, In a paddling pool. No, to the St. Giles's Roundhouse. Yeah. Which is an interesting place to put someone when... It's he'd actually su- square. He'd successfully broken someone out of that self-same yeah. building the year before. This time, though... Jack improved on his record and escaped within three hours and went straight back to his life of crime. Was he just made of twigs? and He was just very good at escaping from places. Um, he was arrested again in May for pickpocketing. And when Bess visited him, uh, she was arrested as well. And they were housed together in the new prison in Clarkwell. So they'd learned on the St. Giles' Roundhouse thing. Like, we're not putting you two in there again. But weirdly, they put them in the same cell in a new prison um, there the two of them thought well this this isn't good pickpocketing is you know a, a hangable offence so they filed through the manacles removed a bar from the window formed a rope from bed sheets to descend into the yard and then climbed a 22 foot high prison gate to get out and it took them less than three days God. and they were away again Athletic bodies. Lithe bodies. Yeah. Apparently, actually, and looking at the pictures, Bess was about double the weight of Jack, who was a very slim, elfin this kind he just, of boy. He, he, he didn't escape, he just walked through the bars. Well, he still had to get Bess out. His slight frame. It would have been three hours again, but he had to get a normal-sized human out with him because yeah. he loved her. By this point, though, John Wilde thought Jack was the gift that kept on giving because he could basically keep setting him up keep having him captured, keep collecting the reward money, and then the next week, Jack would be back, giving him more items to fence so that he could have him arrested again. It's it's a never-ending cycle of profit for John Wilde. Has Jack uh, got a nickname yet? N- he, he may get one. You know, this Johnny gonna, the Blue. I'm not going to foreshadow it, but he may get a nickname before the Slippery end of this. Slippery Jack. Is that your guess? Yes. Slippery Jack. Wait, wait, wait. What was the first? What were the three words, people? Lace. Lace. Carpentry. Extortion. And so extortion. Lace hasn't come in. Mm. Lace has not come in. Jack. I can't think of anything. No. I didn't want to say Lacey. <laughs> Jack DeLacey. It's not Jack DeLacey. So, um, in order to make sure that, you know, Jack was the gift that kept giving, he insisted that Jack use him to fence all future items that he stole so he got Jack to meet him probably at the pub and said right you've been having some troubles I'm going to see you right I will fence everything personally for you so you don't get into this trouble again Jack refused and said that he wanted instead to work with Joseph Blueskin Blake there's a Joe in this now yeah there's a Joseph Blueskin Blake in this Wild he did not take the snub well because Jack was developed, developing a bit of a reputation. You know, he'd broken out of prison three separate times. Yeah. He was becoming something of a folk hero in the fact that he'd turned down the thief-taker general. 
Well, it did. Well, the are aware that, that, that uh, John's playing both sides. Mm. Everyone knew, but no one could do anything yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and John Wilde decided that he would now not rest until he saw Jack hang for the audacity of turning him down. Jack only had enough time to indulge in some light highway robbery during July before he found himself arrested again. And again, it was by one of John Wilde's gang, a guy called Quilt Arnold. I swear I'm not making these names up. Quilt Arnold. Quilt Arnold, yes. You guess better. This time it was for the robbery of a man called William Kneebone. (laughs) (laughs) When you write this... When you write the script for this, because yeah. you have to go and write a screenplay, <laughs> this is such a good story, um, you might have to change the names. No, I'm keeping the names. Do they suit their names? Are we about to find out the, William the Kneebone, exactly how... William Kneebone was an elderly shopkeeper who <laughs> had looked after Jack and his mother after his dad had died. So he was not only a kindly old shopkeeper, he was a kindly old shopkeeper who had acted as a surrogate father for Jack and Jack had stolen from him. Allegedly. Right. This time, Jack made it all the way to court without escaping, and he was promptly sentenced to death. He was transferred to Newgate Prison to await his fate. Is he going to the Tyburn tree? Well, he would have been, but he quickly escaped by removing a bar in the door of his cell and disguising himself in women's clothes that had been brought in by Bess during a visit. (laughs) (laughs) Because... He's he's going through all the different ways that you might escape prison, and one of the... He's lovable, isn't he? He is great, isn't he? By this time, and particularly after this escape, Jack had become a hero to the lower classes in London. He was a non-violent criminal who stole from the rich and appeared able to escape at will. The newspapers dubbed him Honest Jack. Right. That was his nickname. There's Not a... Slippery Jack, Honest Jack. There's a There's a... There's a pint named after him, isn't there? Is there? There is an Honest Jack IPA. Fantastic. Well, it probably is named after him then. You'll have to buy me a bottle and I will drink it. We shall Google after the episode. And possibly post it somewhere. I think you got me one. Did I get you an Honest Jack? I may have done. I'd find that funny. So, he was unfortunately arrested again. And this time was secured in a room in the Newgate prison called The Castle. His legs were bound in irons. Uh, Jack then demonstrated to the jailers that he could easily unlock these using a nail that he found on the floor. And he he demonstrated this to them. (laughs) He's like, um, guys. Uh, So they secured him... A little lucid debris in jail cells. (laughs) They secured him more tightly and handcuffed him for good measure after he'd pointed out to them how easy it would be for him to effect another escape. While Jack was waiting in the castle, his associate, Joseph Blueskin Blake, was in court next door being tried for thievery and other rapscallion, ne'er-do-wellian kind of things. And Blueskin, he wasn't worried because he expected his old friend, John Wilde, who's always cold, who he used to drink with, um, would speak on his behalf and get him off. His other name was Shivery Joe. It didn't stick as a criminal name. You're not scared of Shivery Joe, are you? No. No. No, it's Blue Skin, everybody. Say it with me. Blue Skin. <laughs> Look, it's Smurfy Joe. <laughs> no! <laughs> You're right, we should call you Smurfette. No! <laughs> uh, so, 
he wasn't worried because he thought, you know, I've been drinking with John Wilde for years. I've got dirt on him. We're associates. He's not going to sell me down the river. Unfortunately, Wilde was so focused on ensuring that Jack was hung uh, that he instead condemned Blueskin by saying he's an associate of Jack's. The two of them are in it together. They definitely did that. Blueskin was sentenced to death and was not happy. He was so not happy, in fact, that he pulled out a pocket knife that he'd somehow managed to keep about his person despite being incarcerated in Newgate Prison, and he slashed Wilde's throat. Can't you just see the film? Yeah. That's amazing. It's an amazing story. But So Wilde's on the floor holding closed his neck wound. What kind of noise would that make? <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, and Jack, hearing the commotion, used the distraction to escape for a fourth time. From his handcuffs and everything. From his handcuffs and extra loaded down chains and things. He was off. <laughs> This is unbelievable. John Wilde didn't die. Okay? He's okay. He's he's No, he's not okay. He's very <laughs> wounded, but he's not dead. Uh, Jack, unfortunately, he was too hot to handle now. He was too well known. People had drawn pictures of him. His his face was now known to the populace of London, and he was caught again two weeks later. Is he, is he going to get re-skilled? <laughs> <laughs> he's at the job centre right now. <laughs> It's not viable. Mm. Look at me. Can't do it anymore. It's on this fucking poster. (laughs) I want to go back to carpentry now. I'm done with that. Now he's caught and this time he was placed under constant observation so there was not a second where there wasn't somebody eyeballing Jack. He was shackled to 300 pounds of weights which considering he only weighed about 100 pounds wet through three times his own body weight uh, and the jailers started to make some money by charging rich people to come in and talk to Jack in his cell. So they were having a bit of a side hustle because he was a proper celebrity by this stage. He was apparently always polite, good-humoured, never seemed to express any concerns about what was soon to happen to him. He's uh, like the Will Smith of criminals. Yeah, and even when he was offered a chance to turn in his associates in order to have his death sentence commuted, he refused. And now, I don't grass. We don't want to ruin his nickname, does no. he? No, Honest Jack. He yeah. doesn't want to be called Grass Jack. No one wants that. Yeah. Jack, Jack the Weasel. Mistrustful Jack. Jack who you thought was your friend and now it turns out he's not. Damn Jack. Um, he was planning another escape. That's the reason he wasn't bothered. It wasn't yeah. that he was a, a particularly you know great guy to his mates. He, he'd already decided how he was getting away. But... As he was being loaded onto the cart on November 16th, 1724, to be taken to Tyburn to visit the tree, the guard found the pocket knife he had stolen and took it from him. There's got to be another way out of this. Well, he stopped off at a tavern for a pint of sherry. (laughs) That's a, yeah, a pint. And then arrived at Tyburn amid a massive crowd, as befitted his celebrity status. People were selling his autobiography which he had actually had a hand in writing. Right. He'd been visited by a journalist of the day. Oh, one of the rich guys turned yeah, up. And... and he'd you know, given him enough particulars that he could cobble together a quick autobiography. Uh, and everybody seemed to be in a very celebratory mood. Unfortunately for Jack, his very slight frame had been great for escaping. 
But not for consuming a pint of sherry. Well, it's not good for consuming a pint of sherry because that was now half of his body weight oh, was made up. Oh, not heavy enough to die from hanging. <laughs> oh, no. You've got it in one. He can escape anything. In- yes. Um, he slipped straight through the noose and no, scarped off. He was he was heavy enough to he was heavy enough to be strangled. Just he was not heavy enough, heavy enough, enough to, to be, float off. He was not heavy enough to be strangled quickly. And he struggled over the course of 15 minutes. But this was all part of one final plan he had. Because he had asked his friends to take his body immediately after it was cut down to a doctor to attempt to revive him. So his idea was, if he could pass out and appear dead, enough to fool the person who, you know, the hangman who's going to cut him down, there'd still be a slim chance. And people have survived hanging at the Tyburn Tree, as we know from the miniseries. Click here. There is nowhere to click. Oh. Go and search for it. Come on. We, we can't put all the effort in, guys. Um, but unfortunately, their hopes were dashed because he was such a celebrity, the crowd, as soon as he was cut down, rushed in to try and grab a bit of his clothes, a bit of his hair, something for a souvenir. So essentially, as soon as they cut him down, his body became the ball in a rugby scrum. And there was no chance of anyone trying to revive him. And if they had, he would have been in incredible pain with many broken bones. So, unfortunately, that's it. After four escapes, two from Newgate Prison, and an extra escape where he wasn't actually escaping, but he was going in to get someone else out. And, and a, an escape idea. Yeah, and several escape ideas. to be, I die first, and then... Yeah, he's going full-on Houdini with this. So John Wilde technically had won. He went, He'd vowed yay. to have this guy died. <laughs> yeah. Had this guy died. He vowed to have this guy killed. What happened and to Joe? Happened. The blue? Joe, um, Joe also, also was hung. He was hung, I think it was two days before Jack. Right. So Joe's dead. Jack's dead. Tom's dead. John, though, he's still with you know, probably rancid neck wound, not dead. But he never got to enjoy his victory because while he recovered from his neck wound, he, he wasn't... slipped on a banana. He wasn't able to run his criminal empire with quite the iron grip that he had before. And this was the first time he'd appeared vulnerable. So all of those people who'd had to toe the line but really hated the bugger saw this as the opportunity. All the hyenas coming. And they all turned him in. So they all agreed that they would all turn King's evidence, I think at this point, King's evidence against him and just throw him under the bus where he so rightly deserved to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. He was arrested for assisting a jailbreak less than three months after Jack's execution. But that was not the conviction that sealed his fate. Were people sad that Jack had died? Oh, yeah. Was it like a mourning for him? Yeah, he was a, he was a sort of hero to the poor people of London because he was he was sticking it to the man. He was taking whatever he wanted. And then even when they caught him, he was being really polite and courteous to them. And then he was just pissing off yeah, yeah. as and when he wanted to go back to the, the welcoming arms of his big old Edgeworth Bess. Yeah. Which, when you think about it, if I told you Edgeworth Bess was a horse, you believe me. But he rode away on Edgeworth Bess. Was it a horse? No, it was a prostitute. Oh. But it could have been a horse. Um, so, yeah. The jailbreak wasn't the reason that he was 
um, sentenced to die. The conviction that sealed John Wilde's fate was for the rather less exciting crime of the theft of 50 yards of lace. <laughs> she got with anything, didn't they? Well, the, it's, it's just weird. It's a case of he'd done all of these things that were definitely, you know, something that you could convict him and have him hung. But the easiest one to prove was the theft of 50 yards of so lace from the dressmaker shop. and yeah. tax avoidance. Only in this case, all of the crimes led to uh, the death penalty. So it didn't really matter which one you picked for him. Yeah. It was just which one is 100% provable. Do we have lots of witnesses for? Is there no way that he can weasel out of? And unfortunately, with the jailbreak, he was being quite careful to make sure that other people were the people giving the orders and that there was no direct link back to him. Whereas with stealing 50 yards of lace, I imagine he walked in pushed the shop assistant over, picked it up, spat on her as he walked out. And then later they, they broke down the door and he's like wiping his mouth <laughs> yeah. after a curry. Yeah, with the lace. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa! We've got you now, Wild. Uh, it's such a good name for, for the bad guy as well, isn't it? That's why they should have known. Can you please write this? John Wild. Running Wild. The Thief Taker General story. <laughs> we could. So, anyway... On May 24th, 1725, so just around a year after Honest Jack, John Wilde was driven by cart to Tyburn Gallows. He, however, did not have an escape plan because he was unconscious, as he had attempted to kill himself via an overdose that morning. What? I don't know. Should we, should we have a... A guess? Yeah. What, at the time, what would you... What poisons were available? Oh, poisons were available from ev- oh, everywhere just, and anyway. You just, from yeah. <laughs> you just walk oh, right, into okay. the local apothecary. What will kill people? Can I have lots of it? Thank you. Do I need to sign some kind of register? Is there some way of tracking who's buying this? No. No, no, you're good. Just give me the money. Do I get a receipt? Do these mix well? <laughs> uh, what, what kind of flavours can I get? Anyway, so he tried to kill himself but been unsuccessful and they had to and I feel sorry for the hangman in this situation because it's got to be very very difficult to string up an unconscious body and he's he's not like Jack is he no no John Wilde was a a rotund man he was he he was growing fat off his criminal enterprise yeah 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 so he you know moving his mullet hair out of the way (laughs) to get to the neck get the rope round him it is however reported that the crowd that attended the execution of John Wilde was even bigger than the one for Jack Shepard. Vindication. <laughs> I think it's just that more people wanted to see that bugger hang. Yeah. You know, he'd for what we say in like are they, are near, they, for fifteen years. Were they all aware of the story and that, that he Yeah, had it out all for Jack. came okay, out. Right. It all came out, but for 15 years, this guy was basically pretending to try and protect the people of London while actually just oh, so pulling their pants just down. watered yeah. down versions of this. Yeah. <laughs> so that is the story of the Thief Taker General and Honest Jack. And it is one of the best sort of crime dramas that you could write. Yeah. But I it happened. Can you not release this? We've got to release this. Could you wait for a few months just to what? have the screen play down who who do you think I am to have the time to write a screenplay 
I mean, I'd love to. I think you're amazing, Joe. I was looking at a screenplay writing app. If anyone play, can do it in this room, app. it is you. I don't want to be that guy. Will you read my treatment? Will you read my treatment? It's really good. It's historical drama. I'm oh, thinking right, ITV. You write it. I'll pitch it. <laughs> Deal. Okay. You can't hear the handshake. Right. The handshake has happened. We're wheeler dealering. <laughs> 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 Ignore that sound. <laughs> Jack's getting way too excited. And on that note, shall we end this episode? That was great. Okay. We don't do the cheers anymore, do we? we to Jack. <laughs> we can't. Jack, 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 Jack. <laughs> Here's to you, you crazy live bastard. I can make a corn car. 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 I can make a corn car.